You know, it's easy for us to uh, get comfortable in the routine of just the day-to-day, just the things that we need to do, right? And and as we're just kind of settle in just to the routines of life, when Yahweh tries to call us out of the routines, how do we respond to that? You know, I mean, are we just kind of, you know, just going with the flow of things? And And I'm not just talking about, you know, spiritually, but I mean, even in this culture, in this world, this age we live in today, are we just kind of going along with things? Or are we really trying to follow the Father and His heart in the midst of it? Because I can guarantee you, Yahweh hasn't called you to be com- <laughs> but He's called us to be a people to glorify His name and honor His name. And doesn't mean we don't have joy. Of course, there's joy. But He's called us to be a people that are not affected by the world, but a people to affect the world. Amen? So that means we're going to do things a little differently than the way the world wants them done. We're going to uh, see things differently than the way most other people do. And the things that we feel are important are not going to be the things that the world feels is important, which means I'm going to sum all that up this way to a lot of people, you look weird. (laughs) And we are peculiar people, aren't we? We're supposed to be. You know, in, in the scripture, that word peculiar that's used there for us as you are peculiar people does not really mean odd. It means a special treasure. You know, because, you know, they're quoting from the Torah when, when, when he says that, right? That you are a peculiar people. In the Torah, when he says that, the word that's used there is segulah, which means a special treasure. You are something that is so treasured by Yahweh that he puts it in a certain place for safekeeping. You know, if you have something that's extremely valuable, right? What do most people do? You have something that's very, very valuable. You don't want anything to happen to it. You put it in a safe. How we would cherish something like that is that word, segula, that Yahweh uses towards you. That he cherishes you so much that he wants to keep you in a very safe place. And what better place than in his hands? See? And so he wants us to stay in his hands and do that. But like I said, that means we're going to do things a little differently than the way the world typically wants to see them done. And uh, to, to coin a phrase from when we were children, <laughs> but everybody else is doing it. <laughs> right? Uh, you know, at some point you have a child and, and they, they're kind of like, yeah, but they're doing it. How come I can't do it? Right? Because Yahweh has called you to be a special people. He has called you to be a people set apart by his name. That means we're not going to do things the way the world wants to do them. Matter of fact, he's called you to be a holy people. And here's the, the, what, the weird thing about that. And when he says you are to be holy because I am holy, says Yahweh, he doesn't tell us then what we do to make us more holy. He tells you what to do to not defile yourself. So what he means when he says be holy because I am holy means he makes us holy. It's not anything that we can do to become holy other than come to him. So when we come to him and enter that relationship with him, he sets us apart. He cleanses us. He purifies us. He forgives us. He provides atonement for us. And then he sets us apart as holy. Now we need to learn to walk as a holy people. See, and that's one of the reasons, one of the reasons why, not the sole reason, but one of the reasons why we gather on Shabbat, right? What did, what did uh, Yeshua's Talmudim teach? In Acts chapter 15, they said that the people should go to the synagogue on Shabbat to hear the Torah taught. Why? So that we learn how to walk with him. We learn his heart. We learn his ways. And we learn how to walk with him day by day. So the rest of the week, our focus is on, on him, And then when we gather in together, we're learning about him, not just knowledge, but experience and just to have his heart with us. And so that affects us 
every day throughout the week. So, I've got a few things I want to cover here today. Let's start with Exodus 23. Verses 1 and 2, it says, You are not to repeat false rumors, not to join hands with the wicked by offering perjured testimony. Do not follow the crowd when it does what is wrong, and don't allow the popular view to sway you into offering testimony for any cause if the effect will be to pervert justice. Kind of like when Yahweh brought them out of Mitzrayim, and he says, okay, here's the deal, guys. The land that, I'm go- that, that you're going to, the land that I'm leading you, the people that are there are a wicked people. So when you go to this land, you're not to do the things that they do in the land where I am taking you. And by the way, the land that I brought you out of, yeah, they didn't serve me either. So you're not to live your life and do the things the way that you've known your whole life. So don't do things that way. And then the way you're going to where you see the things that they do, don't do things the way they do them. And if you're in the situation, think about it for a minute. Let's say, wait a minute. So don't do the things that I know and I've learned my whole life. So where's my example? I'm looking at these things ahead of me where you're taking me, by the way, and I can't do things that way. What am I supposed to do? You know the answer? Yeah, follow me. That's why he brought him to the mountain. Because he brought him to the mountain so he could reveal himself to his people and give them his word so they have his presence with them and so that they could walk from this point forward into the promise. So it's not a matter of, well, okay, don't do things the way that, that I see them doing it. Don't do the ways that way that I saw them do it. So where am I supposed to look? One answer. <laughs> we look at him and we follow him and we learn to walk in his ways. That's why he says, you know, don't repeat false rumors and, and don't join hands with the wicked or don't go f- just following the popular view. You know, when you're following Yahweh, you don't necessarily get the popular. When you, when you try to live your life as someone who's set apart in this world, it's not a popular view, but there is life there. But there is joy there. There is peace there. And when the world is all in turmoil, you can say, Yahweh, I know you have me. And so our, our, our heart and our mind and our soul and everything is continually looking to him. So the scripture says, where does my help come from? My help comes from the hills. It's not just the hills we're looking to. We look to the one who made the hills. We look to the one who is higher than the highest of the mountain. And in him, we put our heart and in him, we put our trust. Amen. All right. Look at Matthew 6.33. Seek first what? The kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these things will be added to you. It's not that the things of life are bad, guys. It's just if that becomes your pursuit, it's, it's, out, of, it's out of focus. It's, it's out of whack. But seek first the kingdom of Yahweh and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. What is his righteousness? Well, again, let's try to see if the word defines the word, right? What is righteousness? Well, look at Deuteronomy 6.25. It says, it will be righteousness to us, so see what, it, see what we're saying here. This is righteousness for us. What? If we take care to do all this commandments that Adonai our God has commanded us. So what is righteousness? Not walking the way that we think right, the way that he said is right. And so walking in his word is walking in his righteousness. And that means we're also walking in his truth. As Psalm 119.42 says, your justice is righteousness forever and your Torah is what? Truth. So again, if we're, if we are walking in his righteousness, we're not going to really do everything the way the world does them. Okay. It's going to be a little different. It's going to look a little different. With that, let's go to Colossians. Colossians 3, starting in verse 1. It says, so if you've been raised with Messiah, then seek the things that are above where Mashiach is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on on earth. Now, again, keep things in context, right? When it says set your mind on things above, not on the earth, does that mean uh, you can't do your dishes? Nope, I'm setting my mind on things above. Those are earthly. Mm -hmm. I can't do laundry because that's earthly. Wash my car? Nope, that's earthly. We're not to live in the flesh. That's, That's the world. 
we've heard some things that are a little more ridiculous. <laughs> what, is that what that means? No, not at all. But what it means is we live for higher things. The things we do in this world, we live for higher things. It's not just this world we live for. It's, we're just not trying to get the best we can get here, and then when we die, oh well, that's it. No, we're living for the things that are eternal. We're living for the things that Yahweh has said last. And these are the important things, okay? So set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Mashiach in God. So when Messiah, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Verse 5. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. So what are these things that are earthly? Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. And in these, you too once walked when you were living in them. But now, I love that, isn't it? But now, okay, but now what? You must put them all away. Put what away? Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Don't lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. See, here's the thing. He says, if you are crucified with the Messiah, you're putting the old nature to death, the old things to death, so he can resurrect you as something new. If you belong to him, then he's remade you. And so that changes how we do things. It changes how we live our life. So put off the old self. It's like, if the old man is crucified, don't break out the paddles and try to bring life back to it. Okay? Let it be there, let it be gone, and let us continue to walk in how the Father has remade us and renewed us. Let's keep going. Verse 10. And put on the new self. That means we have to make the decision to do this daily. We, uh, when we wake up in the morning, we decide how we're going to live today. We just kind of roll with whatever happens, or are we going to have an intent and a focus today? See, that's living with Yahweh at the core of our hearts and our lives, saying, Yahweh, what can I do for you today? How can I advance your kingdom today? And whatever I'm doing, Help me to establish you in this earth, right? And so put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. So here there is not Greek or Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarians, get the enslaved free, but Messiah is all and in all. So put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bearing with one another. How many of us can do better at that? Yeah, <laughs> we all can, right? Bearing with one another. It's not like, oh, you've, you've made me mad. You've upset me. That's it. I will not have anything to do with you ever again, ever. Guess what, guys? We all make those mistakes, don't we? See, we can't live that way or we're never, or we're going to be very lonely in life. <laughs> we've got to, we've got to work with one another in this thing that we call life, right? So how do we do that? Like we say here, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, make sure you tell it on Facebook. No, 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 no. Back it up. That's not what we're doing, right? So if you have a complaint against one another, what do you do? Forgive, forgive each other. As Yahweh has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these, so it's kind of like the important thing of the matter is what? Put on love, which has a purpose. What does it do? It binds everything together in perfect harmony. Love is what holds us together. Matter of fact, God is love, right? And so when we're in him, we're learning to walk in his love and his heart and his ways. And he will hold us together if we're, if we're pursuing him. If we all have our, have our focus on Yahweh and, and his kingdom and doing the things, then at some point we're going to stop and realize that there's people standing next to us. And we may not be all in the exact same spot in life, but if we're all focusing on the same thing, let's learn to walk and let's learn to, to, to show the Father's heart in them. That's something I believe the body can be a little better at as well. 
So what do we need to, need to do in life? Well, when the world is telling you, you know, the bright lights and everything else and the angel of light and the distractions and the hindrances, what do we need to do in life? We need to stand. How do you stand firm? Well, Rav Shaul would tell us to pray often. You know, it says pray without ceasing. It doesn't mean pray and you can't do anything else. Literally just means pray very often. Pray often, pray a lot. Pray throughout the day. You know, and it doesn't have to be these super long, eloquent prayers that's like that wax poetic. You know what I mean? No. Turn your heart towards the Father and pray. It can be one sentence. Just refocus yourself back to the heart of the Father. And that will cause us to stand in this earth with a reminder of who you belong to and what he's called you to and what he's made you to be. And that will affect us in our lives. Colossians 2.8. See to it that no one takes you captive by what? By philosophy and empty deceit. According to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to the Messiah. Here's something. If you can be talked into something, you can be talked out of it. Does that make sense? If someone can just bring out a convincing argument for you, they're like, oh, wow, that's a very convincing argument. I'm going to believe that now. Then someone else at some point can convince you out of it. What it comes down to is what do you believe? What are you going to stand on? And if it's anything other than his word, we need to reevaluate, re okay? So it's like, not just because someone has a good argument, let me put it this way. You know, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil has good in it, but it doesn't mean it's right. It doesn't mean it's what we're supposed to follow. We're supposed to trust Yahweh, right? Weren't we supposed to partake of the tree of life instead? And that's what he's called us to, to partake of the tree of life and to follow him, right? Okay, let's keep going. The world's logic and the world's values. What does James have to say about it? I've said before, I really like the book of James because he's a... Uh, Man, he, he, doesn't, he doesn't pull any punches, does he? he he's, he's very, like, right here. I don't know about you guys, when I read the book of James, it's kind of like, like, I feel like I'm in a ring, you know, with Rocky. <laughs> he's, like, he's just, like, left and right and left and right, like, ow, ow, ow. And I, I, can't, I can't throw any punches. I'm just like, okay, ow. <laughs> because James does a really good job of revealing our heart to us. And, and revealing to call us back into a place of repentance and turning our hearts back to focus on Yahweh. So what does James have to say about the world's logic and values? Well, James 3, 13 to 18 says, Who is wise and understanding among you? Now, if you ask that question in, 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 in a large crowd, you're, you're going to get somebody to go, <clears throat> right? Like everybody here is like, I am not putting my hand up, you know. <laughs> you know it's, but we, we grow in wisdom and knowledge and understanding and all of these things. But to say, you know, we're wise and understanding. I'm not that, I don't know if I want to say arrogant or stupid. We're both, <laughs> right? But, but this is what James is telling us. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct. Notice that he say by his great words. Is it by his great words? No. Is it by his convincing arguments? No. What's it by? His conduct. His good conduct. Let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. Guys, meek doesn't mean weak, right? Meek means strength that is controlled, strength that is restrained. And so that's what the Father's called us to be. You are powerful and mighty in him, but we're not to go around displaying that because I feel strong. No, Yeshua could have displayed the ultimate show of strength that we would never be. Consider when he was on that cross, on that stake, however you want to call it, he could have stopped it right then and there, and he didn't. He went to his death, burial, and resurrection to provide the atonement for us that he said he would. But could he have stopped it? 
He was, could he have like, just in his power and his might just said, okay, I've had enough. So how does that relate to us if someone insults us? If someone insults us, do we have to have a display of strength? In meekness, hum humility, humble, right? This is how the Father's called us to be. So how do we do this? Verse 14, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not wisdom that comes down from above, but it is what? Earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. So what is the wisdom that comes from above? Bitter jealousy, selfish ambition, boastful, false, false knowledge against the truth. All these things is earthly wisdom. See, that's the earthly way to do things. It's a worldly way to do things. If you want to get ahead in life, you got to step over somebody else. It's not the way the kingdom works. It's not the way the Father, we're, we're supposed to lift each other up and edify one another and build each other up, right? And that's how we advance in the kingdom. That's what James is kind of telling us. Verse 16, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exists, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is what? First, pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So consider this. We want the wisdom of Yahweh, and Yahweh is the one who gives wisdom, right? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So we, we grow in wisdom when we submit ourselves to Yahweh. But what does it say that is? It's pure, peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. That's how we know we're growing in wisdom. See, that's how we know we're, we're doing these things because these are the, the, the things that we will be showing in our life, which is very different from the way the world tells us to do things. How about this one? Colossians 2, 17 and 19. Talking about like the Moedim, the appointed times, the appointed seasons, right? Shabbat, Rosh Chodesh, and, and the Moedim, all of these, right? It says, these are a shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Messiah. How many of you have heard, we'll see if these were a shadow of the things of the Messiah, so since, there, since we have the Messiah, we don't need anything about the shadow. It's not the way it works, guys. <laughs> because guess what? Even if it is a shadow of him, it's still him. <laughs> and so we can't cast any of it off. See, and these things that show him and reveal him, why would we say, if these things show you and reveal you, no, I don't want to do it anymore. It doesn't make any sense. But if these things are a shadow of him and they reveal him and they're all about him, then we honor him in the midst of doing these things. Some people twist what Colossians is saying to say, oh, you do not observe these things. But in actuality, in Colossians, it's, it reads the, the opposite direction. You know where it says, don't let anybody judge you in these things? He says, don't let anybody judge you in your observance of these things. Not in your non-observance of these things. Who in the world would say anything about you if you don't do a Passover? Who in the world will say anything about you if you don't honor Sukkot or Shavuot or Shabbat or even a Rosh Kodesh? Who in the world cares? But when you do it, they stand and they notice, don't they? See, and that's what Colossians was talking about. Well, let's, let's go on, Colossians 2, so uh, verse 18. Let no one disqualify you insisting on, now look at this. Let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism, worship of angels, going on in details about visions, puffed up without reason by a sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head from which the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with the growth that is from God. So I want to address a couple things here. One, you know, when Rav Shaul, when he was writing these letters to the different uh, communities that were there, he was addressing specific situations at a specific time with specific people. The problem is we take these letters that he wrote for specific things and then we try to like apply them with blanket statements. 
but we might not be in that situation that they were in. So again, if we're not careful, we can misapply some of the words and some of the things that are being done there. So Shaul had to deal a lot with things called asceticism and Gnosticism. So what are these? Let me define it for you. Asceticism is a manner of life, practices, or principles of an ascetic. Well, what is that? It is the doctrine that a person can attain a high spiritual and moral state by practicing self-denial, self-mortification, and the like. Rigorous self-denial, extreme abstinence, and austerity. In other words, it's not like I'm fasting for today or tomorrow or a couple days. That's not it. It's like I'm fasting for a year because I need to be spiritual. I'm fasting for a year. Or, or I need to be really spiritual today, and, I, and, and you know, I just, you know, I, I can't feel God unless I feel pain. So I'm going to do something to inflict pain. You know, extreme things we're talking about. Asceticism, this is big. This was big back in those days. And it's the idea of, again, things that are spiritual are good, but if it's not, you know, things that are physical are bad, which kind of goes back into Gnosticism, which we'll get in a second. But it's the idea of, let me, let me just throw something out there, guys. Just because it's spiritual does not mean it's good. Just because it's spiritual does not mean it's God. You know, Hasatan and the ones who fell with him were spiritual. There are many things in the earth that are spiritual that are not Yahweh. That's why we have to test the spirits. That's why we have to discern the things of life. That's why we have to discern the things that we're following after, right? So what's Gnosticism? Gnosticism is a group of ancient heresy stressing escape from this world through the acquisition of esoteric knowledge. We can just just do all the things that are just spiritual because everything spiritual is good and all, everything that is physical is bad. And like I said, that's not true. So a religious movement characterized by a belief in gnosis. Gnosis is the word means to know something. Knowledge. You may have heard the phrase, knowledge is power. That in its extreme version falls under this, Gnosticism. Okay. So a religious movement characterized by a belief in gnosis, which, which the spiritual element in man could be released from its bondage in matter the physical, regarded as a heresy by the Christian church. So asceticism and Gnosticism are big things that Rav Shaul had to deal with. And so a lot of things that he was writing about was dealing with these two, these two issues, these two things. So what does the Torah have to say about these things? Say, if it's spiritual, it's good? No, it's not. Because Deuteronomy 13, go back to that. Remember the test for a false prophet, right? I wonder if all the people today who would be willing to submit to this test, who claim to be prophets... And don't get me wrong, guys. I want to make this very, very clear. I believe 100% Yahweh uses his people. I believe he gives you spiritual gifts to do things that, that we can't do otherwise because he wants to show himself through you. We've seen, we've seen Yahweh heal people. We've seen people deliver. We've seen things. It, it, it happens. Yahweh still moves. But I'm telling you, people need to discern the things that are around them. Just because someone stands in front of you and says, I'm a prophet does not mean they're from Yahweh. You have to discern these things. What does Deuteronomy 13 say? If a prophet or a dreamer of dreams rises among you and gives you a sign or wonder. So we have someone who says they're a prophet and they do signs and wonders, right? Is that the qualification that they serve Yahweh? No. <laughs> no. It says that they do signs and wonders and the sign or wonder he tells you comes to pass. And then he says, what? Let us go after other gods which you have not known and let us serve them. In other words, even if he does signs and wonders and miracles and, 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 and he does all of these things, if he is teaching you to go against what the word of God says, he is to be considered a follower. Don't follow him. That's why it's important to discern these. Think about Balaam and Balak. What was the deal with them? Balaam was a prophet. I believe he was a prophet of Yahweh. Yahweh spoke to him, didn't he? 
And Yahweh said, you better say only what I tell you when it comes to my people, because you cannot curse them because I have blessed them. Right? So when he went to Balak and he, they, they tried multiple times to, to, okay, curse him now, and he wouldn't do it. And he ended up speaking a blessing over Israel instead. Balak got really angry. It's like, come on, man, if you're not going to curse him, don't bless him. Right? So what happens next? Balak tells him, look, man, if you're not going to do what I brought you here for, I'm not going to pay you. And Balaam's like, let's talk. <laughs> and what the scripture says is that he taught Balak how to put a stumbling block before Israel. See, he couldn't speak words of cursing to them, but he could get them to stray from the Torah. He could get them to stray from the word and go into idolatry. Thereby, they would be cursing themselves. I don't have to proclaim a curse over them. They would fall into idolatry if they just, just throw the temptation in front of them. They'll fall. That's what happened, wasn't it? The Belpoor. See, he, didn't, he couldn't prophesy against them, but he taught them how to go against exactly what happened. So again, it's important. If someone says they're a prophet, it's not about the things they prophesy. It's about what are they teaching? And you have to discern that. Let's keep going in that. Verse 3, you are not to listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams, for Yahweh your God is, look at this, testing you to know whether you love Yahweh your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Let me kind of paraphrase this to help clarify it a little bit. Yahweh your God is letting you realize if you love him or the idea of him. What do I mean by that? Are we fashioning golden calves and calling it Yahweh? Are we trying to do our own ideas and our own ways and our own things and saying, this is the God that I serve, and it's a golden calf? We're calling it Yahweh. That's what, it is, that's what he's talking about here in Deuteronomy. He says, he's knowing, do we love Yahweh or do we love Yahweh if he does these things for me? Or do we love Yahweh if, if he fits in my box? Nice, neat, and comfortable. Do we love him or do we love what he does for all different? Okay, let's keep going. Verse 4. You shall walk after Yahweh your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice and you shall serve him and hold fast to him. But that prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death because he has taught rebellion against Yahweh your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and redeemed you out of the house of slavery to make you to leave the way in which Yahweh your God has commanded you to walk. So shall you purge the evil from your midst. So see that? Because he taught rebellion against Yahweh, even though he was prophesying, and even though he did signs and wonders and miracles and all these amazing supernatural things. But again, don't we read where Yeshua himself says, in that day many will say to me, didn't I? All of these signs and wonders and miracles. And Yeshua says, depart from me, worker of lawlessness. I never knew you. He didn't say that these signs, wonders, and miracles they were doing were bad things to do. He said, you worker of lawlessness. Their heart was removed. So again, we need to discern these things. Let's look at Matthew 7. Matthew 7, 19 to 27. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is done what? Cut down and cast into the fire. So you will recognize them by their fruits. Here's the thing too. It takes time for a tree to have fruit. You can't have someone who just gave their life to the Lord and then an hour later and say, look at what they just did. Look, they did. see there's no fruit there. They have to be, you know, they have to be cultivated. They have to grow. They have to let their roots go in. And it takes time and pruning and effort and water and fertilizer and everything to make the tree grow and produce good fruit. And guess what, guys? We're all in that process, okay? And we're all in the means of, of producing fruit and the right kind of fruit. But let us be ones that produce, Okay. It says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, which we just addressed, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but those who do the will of my Father who is in heaven. And on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we, didn't we prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, do mighty works in your name? Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. 24. So everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. 
And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on the house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like the foolish man who built his house on sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against the house and it fell and great was the fall of it. So what is the rock? The rock is Yahweh himself. The rock is Yeshua. The rock is the word. And uh, that's what we can stand sure on. That is the foundation that we build on, right? If we're constantly in like the sand, you can't build something that's going to be long term on sand, right? You have to build on a solid foundation. And that's on Yahweh himself. Look at 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy 3, 13 to 17. While evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. In other words, you know, until he returns, it's just, this is going to be the way things happen, the way people do things. Because, you know, a lot of people will say, well, if God is true and if he's good and everything, why is there so much evil in the world? Because man chose to do that. Because mankind chose to serve themselves other than Yahweh. If we lived uh, the way that Yahweh had said to live, truly and surely, we would be in a very different way. We will be. But until then... We need to learn to follow him. This is what we have. So uh, verse 14, but as for you, see, so even though it's kind of like, but even though the world is doing all these things, but for you, right? Like we started off with the beginning. Well, if they're doing it, how come I can't do it? Because you are a holy, holy people, because you are set apart to Yahweh, your God, right? As for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Messiah Yeshua. All scripture, what's that again? All scripture. And when we find in the Brit Hadashah where it says all scripture, it is referencing the Tanakh, the Torah, the prophets, and the writings, the Old Testament. So when it says all scripture, the New Testament hadn't been written yet, okay? And I'm not, I'm not denying the validity of, of the Brit Hadashah either. Okay, I'm just saying when it says in the Brihadashah, the scriptures, it's referring to the Tanakh. Okay, so all scripture is breathed by God. Profitable for what? Teaching, reproof, correction, and training in what? Righteousness. See that? So how do we walk in righteousness? Well, it's revealed in the Tanakh. It's revealed in the Torah. It's revealed in the word of Yahweh. How do we know what righteousness is? What training in righteousness is? We're learning how to walk with Yahweh. And he is righteous. So we're learning to walk with him in his ways, in his heart, in his life. 17, for, for what purpose? That the man of God may be complete and equipped for what? Every good work. Okay, so what do we call good works, good deeds? Mitzvah. Mitzvah. The word mitzvah, mitzvah literally means command. So things that are command, but they're translated as good deeds because Yahweh commanded his word to us. And when we do what he tells us that we are doing good to one another. And so we listen and we do. That's called obedience. Right. And so that's why we follow him. So in the process of coming to him, he renews us and he transforms us. We are no longer we are no longer the person we used to be. We are renewed. We are something completely new. You know, you may have heard the phrase, stick with me here for a minute, don't throw stones yet. You may have heard the phrase, I'm just the same old sinner saved by grace. I half agree with the statement. We're saved by grace. Always have been. It's never been any different. It's always been saved by grace. When Yahweh made covenant with his people, he didn't have to. He equipped them. We've always been saved by grace. But I'm not that same old sinner. When, he, when you come to him, he renews you. Old things passed away. All things have become new. 
I'm not the same guy. I am renewed. I am different today than I was yesterday. Every day I am different than I was the day before. Because every day his grace to me. Romans 12, 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a what? Living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Some translations say your reasonable service. They do translate to really either way. Because our reasonable service is our spiritual worship. <laughs> Us worshiping Yahweh is a reasonable request. How can we not worship the one who redeemed us and brought us life and saved us from the pit? How can we not worship the one who blesses us day by day and gives us breath in our lungs? How can we not bless him? And so verse 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind, that by testing, by testing, by Testing, <laughs> one, two, one, no. By testing, <laughs> you may discern what is the will of God and is acceptable and good. See that? So how do you sharpen your discernment? You're put in situations that you have to discern. It's easy. Testing is, is a good teacher for us. And in life, as we go through things, we're constantly put before you. I've set before you today, life and death, blessing and cursing. You choose life. Notice he doesn't just say, okay, I've set before you today, life and death, blessing and cursing, door number one, door number two. What's it going to be? He says, I've set before you today, life and death, blessing and cursing, life and, and door number one, cursing and door number two. Choose one. Which one are you going to have? Choose life that you and your descendants do not conform, but be what? Transformed. How? Don't be shaped by the world's patterns. Don't be shaped by the way the world says they have to do things. You know, dishonesty, rudeness, crudeness, all of these things. But be transformed by renewing your mind. How do we do that? Daily renewing comes through regular thoughts on the word and obedience. Because application is how we... You can read about something and think you have a good idea of it. But until you're actually put in a situation to do what you read, do you really understand it? I could give you the owner's manual for a dump truck and tell you to drive it. Some of you might be able to, some of you might not. Just because you read the manual doesn't mean you're capable. When we read the scripture, we're reading the manual for our life and being renewed daily and being transformed daily. But by applying is how we continue to grow and being obedient to the word of Yahweh with a cheerful heart, with a thankful heart, becomes an act of worship. Means being put on the altar. We always think of the altar as sacrifice. You know, that's not the Hebrew word for it. For Hebrew, the, what, the thing that went on the altar was called a korban, something brought near. This is something that, that, that revealed being close to the Father, being close to God, coming in His presence. Literally, the fire and the smoke, it says, literally went up into the face of Yahweh. So literally in His presence. And that's where we're supposed to live. We go on the altar so that we can be in His presence. And that was an act of worship. When you came into the tabernacle of the temple and you brought your offerings, that was an act of worship. You say, no, they were just being obedient because that's what they were told to do. But doing it with a cheerful heart was an act of worship. They could have done the right thing and their heart not be in it. Have you? How many of you have ever done the right thing because you knew it was the right thing to do, but you didn't want to? <laughs> We've all done that in some area in our life. But this is what he's telling us to. If we lay our life down on the altar, in other words, not my will his way. Then our very life and everything about our life becomes an act of worship and everything that we do. And then we will continually be renewed day by day. 
Look at 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 through 11. It says, or Do you not know that, that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Look at verse 11. And such were some of you, but not anymore. See that? But you were washed, sanctified, justified in the name of our Lord Yeshua and by the Spirit of our God. We used to be in the world in the ways of the world. You know, the scripture says you used to be darkness. He didn't say you used to be in darkness. You used to be darkness. But now in him, you are light. Walk as children of the light. See, that's, that's the power of Yahweh to completely transform us and to renew us. We all have a past. We all have things that we've done wrong. We all have things where we have not lived for Yahweh, but when we come to him, all of that changes. That's why it's not our righteousness we're walking in. It's his right. Ephesians 5, 25 to 27. Husbands, love your wives as Messiah loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the body, present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. See that? If we are the bride of Messiah, then in him he has made us holy and without blemish. How many of you are just excited about the no spots or wrinkles thing? <laughs> That's you. Yahweh does not see you this way, okay? He sees you as holy and without blemish and perfect and, and just, just a beautiful in relationship with, that's what he's, and that's how we walk day by day. Charles is, <laughs> First Peter 1, 13. Therefore, what does therefore mean? You know, pay attention to this because something is about to happen, okay? <laughs> therefore, prepare your minds for action. And be sober-minded. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Yeshua. As, what's well, a kind of children? Obedient children. You can be a disobedient child. You know that? I wouldn't want to be, but you can. See, we can be a son of Yahweh that just doesn't feel like being obedient today. <laughs> Why would you make that choice though? See, as obedient children. Let's be children of Yahweh who wants to honor him, wants to honor our father wants to bless our heavenly, wants to walk with him in a dearness and closeness. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, be holy for I am holy, which is written in the Torah, right? How else do we continue to walk with him? We'll be transformed and get truth. Yeshua says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, right? No better way than that. He is the way, the truth, and the life. We follow him and all these things that he does. But when we look back at things like Proverbs 23, verse 23, where it says, buy truth and do not sell it. Buy wisdom, instruction, and understanding. Can you buy truth? Can you buy wisdom? Can you buy instruction? Can you buy understanding? Not literally. So what does it mean when it says buy truth, don't sell it? Buy wisdom, instruction, and What does it mean when you buy something? When you buy something... You procure it. You obtain it. See, it's provided to you so you can learn to walk in it. Therefore, you know, we say buy it. In other words, you're giving something for it. Okay? Now, all of these begin with Yahweh, and he is the one who gives all of them. But how do we get it? Because if we don't submit to him, we don't get it. Remember, Yahweh opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Right? So again, how do we, how do we buy truth? How do we get it? Repent. We walk as obedient children 
and we follow him in his ways. Look at 1 Chronicles 21, verses 22 to 24. David said to Ornan, Give me the site of the threshing floor that I may build on it an altar to Yahweh. Give it to me at its full price that the plague may be averted from the people. But Ornan said to David, Take it. Let my lord of the king do what he seems good to him. See, I have given the oxen for the burnt offerings and the threshing sledges for the wood and the wheat for the grain offering. I give it all. But King David said to Ornan, No, but I will buy them for full price. I will not take for Yahweh what is yours, nor offer burnt offerings for the thing that cost me nothing. He wanted to do offering here. And he says to Ornan, he says, So, so I want to build an altar here to Yahweh and I want to bless him and I, and I, I want to make the offerings. I want to buy your oxen and, and I'll, I'll even you know pro, pro, provide for the land and everything that you got here to do this. And he says, look, this is an honorable thing. This is something for Yahweh. I don't want to prevent that from happening. Just take what you want. It's yours. Do with it to bless Yahweh. And what did David say? The king, he could have said, okay, cool. And done it because I mean, that would have been a blessing for this guy, right? Because he said, no, I'm giving it to Yahweh. Go ahead and do it. But David said, yeah, but that's beside the point. Because then it doesn't cost me anything. <laughs> David said, I want to offer Yahweh something from me. And let me kind of turn that around. I want to offer Yahweh not. And so when I put myself, my thoughts, my heart, my, my possessions, my things, my everything on the altar for Yahweh, that's me blessing. See? How much of an offering is it if I say, Yahweh, I want to bless you, and Lord, I want to give you my whole life and my everything. I'll even give you Charles's house. <laughs> yeah, what would you do? What would you do? How would you feel about that? See, you don't give to God what belongs to somebody else. <laughs> so that's what David was saying. I want to offer Yahweh. Can I, how can I offer Yahweh anything that costs me nothing? It's not about, oh, God's only happy if you're doing without. That's not it at all. It's about, Yahweh, I want to bless you, and the only thing I can do is just offer you me. And so that's, that's whatever you ask for, it's yours, because you're the one that gave it to me anyway. However I can honor you, Yahweh, that's what I want to do, and that's what David was proclaiming here. John 12, 25. So those who love their life in this world will lose it. That's kind of counterproductive, isn't it? <laughs> you just want to think logically, there's enough there. So if you love your life in this world, you're going to lose it. Why? Because the things that last are not the things that are temporary. Did you catch that? The things that last are the things that are eternal. So those who love their life in this world will lose it. And those who care nothing for their life in this world will keep it for eternity. Anyone who wants to be my disciple must follow me because my servants must be where I am and the Father will honor anyone who serves me. So let me uh, paraphrase it this way. You invest in what you think is important. Does that make sense? Uh, and, and, and guys, that's, that's everything and anything. You make an investment in anything you consider important. That's your time, your money, your resources, your, your objects, your things. Uh, all of that, you make investments into something that you feel is worthwhile, okay? And that's what Yahweh's called us to do. What has He called us to make investments in? The kingdom. Investments into things that last. Investments into things that to declare His name and to declare His work in the earth. These are the eternal things. Things that are working to be kingdom-minded. This is what He's called us to where you spend your time, energy, resources, all of this shows what really matters to our lives. Matthew 6, 20 and 21 says, store your treasures in heaven where moth and rust cannot destroy and thieves don't break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In other words, like I said, the things that you feel important are the things that you offer your time to, the things you offer yourself to. And that's why it's important that we be kingdom minded, that we can help uh, 
help spread the word of you. Now, if it's not important to us, we're never going to say anything about it. But if it's important to you, you're going to say something about it. You're going to do something about it. It's going to affect how you live your life, right? Second Timothy 2, 15 and 16. Work hard. Some of us are offended already. <laughs> Work hard so that you can present yourself to God and receive his approval. Be a good worker, one who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly explains the word of truth. Avoid worthless, foolish talk that only leads to more godless behavior. Notice he doesn't say work hard for your salvation. It's not what he's saying, okay? See, and don't forget, uh, in scriptures like this, you're already talking to someone who is already in covenant, already redeemed. So we're not talking about salvation here. He says, work hard so you can present yourself to God, receive his approval to be a worker who does not need to be ashamed. In other words, if I'm a servant, if I serve Yahweh, then serve him. Okay, that means that changes how we live life. Serve him. You can't say, I'm a servant of Yahweh, and then the only time you're serving him is like when you're here. <laughs> See, that's not a servant. We serve him all the days of our life. No matter where we are, no matter what we're doing, no matter where we're at, we serve Yahweh, right? Our lives belong to him because he is the one who redeemed us. So as it says, work hard to present yourself to God, you receive his approval, a good worker. We want to be good workers, don't we? Obviously, yes. So we want to be ones, when people think of you, they bless the name Yahweh. We want to be a people who consider this, Joseph and Potiphar. We may have had some bad situations in our work, but I can guarantee you, you haven't been a Joseph and Potiphar. Potiphar even told Joseph, I'm blessed because you're here. The jailer told Joseph, he was blessed because you're here. Laban told Jacob, I'm blessed because you're here. Do those who employ us, can they say the same? I'm blessed because you're here. Yahweh is with you. Even if I don't serve him, Yahweh is with you. And since he blesses you and you're doing your job well, it blesses me. That's kind of what that's talking about. Psalm 119, 111. It says, your laws are my treasure. They are my heart's delight. Can we say that? Your laws are my treasure. No, we've been taught, no, your laws are burdensome and they put me under bondage. No, your laws are my treasure. They are my heart's delight. Think even the blessings that we say over, over the men of the assembly in Psalm chapter one, right? That you plant your roots firmly. You'll be like a tree planted by streams of water. In, your, in the law of Yahweh and his word, you meditate. It's a joy, not a burden, joy, because that's how we get re- That's how we learn the heart of our father. And that's how he reveals himself to us. Second Corinthians 4, 7 says, We now have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is from God, not from ourselves. And I think all of us can acknowledge that. You know, like I said, if there's anything good in me, it's not me. <laughs> if there's anything good in me, it's from him. It's from the Father of lights who gives every good and perfect gift, right? Okay. Psalm 119, 137 to 44. It says, I may be small and despised, but I don't forget your... Think about that for a second. You know, David wasn't the tallest of... And I don't know how tall he was, but every time you read about him, it kind of hints that he was the runt of the litter. Think about it. You know, when the prophet came to anoint the king of Israel and he stands before Jesse and with all of his boys and he's out there and he's looking at him trying to see which one, you know, which one of these is going to be the king over Israel. And he's looking him over and surely it's this one. I mean, he looks the part. It's got to be him. And, and then he, not just real uneasy. He looks over at Jesse and says, don't you have another boy? Because he, he's like, it's none of these guys. Something's up. Yahweh said to anoint the king of Israel and it's one of your sons, Jesse. I don't see him here. Don't you have another boy? Uh, yeah, there's David, but pfft. yeah. The one who, who the world saw as insignificant is the one that Yahweh chose. It says, you are righteous, Adonai, and your rulings are upright. 
You have commanded your instructions in righteousness and great faithfulness. My zeal is destroying me because my foes have forgotten your words. Your word is refined to complete purity and your servant loves it. 141, that's where I was talking about. I am small and despised, but I don't forget your precepts. Your righteousness is eternal righteousness and your Torah is truth. Trouble and distress have overtaken me, but your mitzvot are my delight. Your instruction is righteous forever and give me understanding and I will. How about this one? Deuteronomy 10, 12, and 13. We've done this recently. It says, so now Israel, what does Yahweh your God require of you? We've talked about this recently, that at some point in our life, we have looked heavenward and asked the question, God, I don't know what you want me to do. That's kind of saying it nice, right? How many of us have, have, have said it in more along the terms of, God, what do you want from me? Be honest, right? In moments of distress or you don't understand or can't comprehend, you're like, God, I don't get it, right? Consider this. Deuteronomy 10, and now Israel, what does Yahweh your God require of you? Isn't it wonderful when scripture tells us exactly what we're asking? This is what he desires of us. What is it? To fear Yahweh your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve Yahweh your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments of the statutes of Yahweh, which I am commanding you today for your good. See that? In covenant with him, honor him, revere him, follow him, love him. And listen to him. That's what he's called us to do. Hear his voice. And how do we hear his voice? We start by reading the word and discerning all the other voices. <laughs> right? Tune in to his voice. Don't let all the other voices distract you. Psalm 25, verses 4 and 5. Make me to know your ways, Yahweh. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. And for you I wait all day long. Again, just pursuing the heart of the... Okay? What else? We'll end with this one. What else? Love what he loves. Love what he loves. Love what matters and what really matters. Again, we saw where your treasure is, there, there's where your heart is, right? What really matters? Look, 2 Thessalonians 2, 9 to 12. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders. Do we love just the signs and wonders? Then we can be easily drawn away. That's not it, is it? The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Therefore, God sends them a strong delusion so they may believe what is false in order that they may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Pleasure in unrighteousness is the thing we're looking at here. So they didn't want to hear the truth because they liked their unrighteousness. <laughs> And so we don't want, I don't want to be told I have to repent. I don't want to be told we're doing something wrong. I don't want to be told that. Just kind of give me a good something, uh, you know, just tell me things that make me feel nice and let's go on our way. No, no, Yahweh calls us to move closer to him, which means we got to get up on that altar, which means that fire's hot. <laughs> and what does fire do? It purifies. It burns out all the things that don't need to be. And that is something to glorify the Father. Even when, even when we talk about uh, the refiner's fire and the, and the, and the silver right? Making this the silver. How do you do with the silver? You, you work it over, get all the impurities out until the one who's purifying it can see himself in the reflection. What about the potter and the clay? Make sure there's no impurities in that. So when it gets put to the fire, a beautiful vessel is what comes out. Because if impurities and air bubbles and things are left in it, when it goes into the fire, it's going to Fire purifies and tests. And when we're on the altar, we don't fear the fire because it's the fire that produces the sweet aroma that goes into the presence. 1 John 2, 15 and 17. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. 
For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. And then we already said, what does Yahweh desire for us? What does he want us to do? To love him, to honor him, to walk in his ways, to keep his word, keep his commandments. Even in the book of Revelation, which, you know, the book of Revelation, what's it called? The revelation of Yeshua. See? So even in the book of Revelation, it says, who, who, are the, who, are the, who are the ones that are the remnant? Who are the ones that are left? It's the ones who have the testimony of Yahweh, testimony of Yeshua, and keep his, we're walking with him. Micah 6, 8. So he has told you, O man, what is good and what Yahweh requires. What is it? To do what? Justice. To love what? Kindness. And to walk how? Humbly with your God. To do justice, the word justice is mishpat. Mishpat, it's, it's, it's interesting because mishpat is the word for laws, the word for justice, okay? And in the, in, the, in the Torah, there's a portion of Scripture right after the Ten Commandments called mishpatin. And they're all about how we dwell with one another in disagreements <laughs> and how we learn to get along with each other when we can't get along with each other, <laughs> right? These are all things that were given to us. Consider this for a minute. When Yahweh spoke the Ten Words, the Ten Sayings, the Ten Commandments, however you put them, is, was He done talking? No. What happened? The people of Israel backed off. They backed away in fear. They said, we can't stand to hear the voice of God. If we hear the voice of God anymore, we're going to die. Guess what? That was the point. <laughs> like Rav Shaul, I die daily. That we realize that we are only alive because He gave us our next breath. That we are alive because His Spirit dwells. So what happened? The people backed away when they heard the voice of God. And Yahweh wasn't done talking. So the people said, Moshe, you go up on the mountain and you tell us what Yahweh says so that we can do it. Right? And then he comes down from the mountain revealing his Torah and all these other things and these things about how we get along with one another and how we want to handle one another. Is it any coincidence that these are the things we didn't want to hear? <laughs> but that's human nature, isn't it? And these are just the things that the Father said that we need to die and live. We do justice. In other words, his. we walk with him together. Love kindness. Show kindness to one another. Live with one another. Show kindness to one another. And walk humbly. And some of this is also given in our declaration that we do quite often. We do every Shabbat. And many do uh, every day, every day, in the, uh, like at 9 a.m., at 3 p.m., all these other things. They always say the Shema, right? What is, what is the things that we can learn from this? Well, Shema means to hear, but not just to hear with our ears. It means to hear and receive with the intent of acting on what you have heard. In other words, hear and obey. So when you say Shema Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. How, how, how do we obey that? What does that mean? That means we serve him. That means we serve only him. That means we honor him. We learn his heart and his way, right? And as he even says next, right? So Shema Israel, Adonai Lehenu, Adonai Echad, here Israel, Adonai your God, he is one. And you are to love Adonai your God, your heart, with all your being and all your resources. These words that I am ordering you today are to be where? On your heart. That's how you do it. These words are on your heart. And that you are to teach them carefully to your children. You are to talk about them when you sit at home, when you are traveling on the road, when you lie down, get up, and tie them on your hand as a sign and put them at the front of a headband around your forehead and write them on the door frames of your house and on your gates. In other words, every aspect of your life is involved around worshiping Yahweh your God. Your very life is an act of worship to Yahweh. Everything that you do, it's, it's centered back to Him. 
That's why it says the things, the work of your hands, the things you do for your hands, and the things you're thinking about all the time. And then, and you're going it back and forth and in and out of your house. As you're going out of your house, you've got the mezuzah. Guess what? That means write them literally on the door frame of your home. That was the idea behind the mezuzah that has the Shema in it. Okay? It is that when you're walking out of your home, you realize you're walking and Yahweh your God goes before you. You're walking in His Word in your heart going, up, going before you. But when you come back home, you don't leave it outside. You see it there again saying, as I come home, it is Yahweh my God that is in my home that is keeping me and sustaining me. And so everything that you're doing goes back to Him. And that's worship. That's an act of worship. That's our life that is set into. For doing that, we won't be doing things. They'll be very counter. The world might not like you, but they know the that's why I've said, guys, the, the word, if you haven't noticed many times, it says the word is, a, is, is an offense to people because nobody likes being told we need to change. <laughs> Yahweh is holy, but he called us to be set apart as a holy people. Okay? He doesn't change who he is to make us holy. He changes who we are to make us So when we come to him, he shows us how to walk. So the word, but if people are going to be offended at the word, then hopefully they can be offended at the word and not our delivery. Makes sense. That when we when we show people the word of Yahweh, we're not being offensive in our delivery. Are we sharing the word of Yahweh because we actually care? Are we sharing the word? Well, I'm right. You can say the same thing, but it comes across. And so that's what the Father's called us to, to be ones to show his heart, his word in our lives daily. That's why it says it's his kindness that leads. Let us be ones to show the heart of the Father in our daily life. Advance in the and let the world.